Hey everyone, welcome to Legacy Builders. My name is Brian Delaney, and I'll be your host on this show as we dive into what it means to launch your expertise, scale your impact, and build your legacy using your knowledge, skills, expertise, and gifts God has given you. On this first episode, I'll share some of what I call my miracle story and how I was raised up seeing entrepreneurship all around me and how even at a young age, I knew I was created to build and leave a lasting legacy to impact future generations. Hey, and welcome to Legacy Builders with Brian Delaney. Today, I'm gonna share my story about how I grew up thinking about entrepreneurship and how it took literally dying and coming back to life to waking up to God's plan and purpose for my life. So today I have uh, one of my team members, Seth, with me today, and we're going to be diving into my journey uh, as an entrepreneur uh, marketing on the internet. Hey, Brian. Awesome to be here with you. I'm excited to dive more into your story because I think that the origin of your story lends so much to the work that you're doing today. And, you know, from an early age, you were thinking about entrepreneurship. So tell me, like, where did this begin for you, Brian? Yeah, so I would say as a young boy, I would always think about in inventing things. Um, and then I remember when I was really young, uh, I started selling lemonade around my neighborhood. The problem was there really wasn't a high volume traffic place. So really the only people that are buying lemonade were people that are, you know, in the neighborhood. Uh, from there, I had this idea. Uh, I was at the pharmacy, the local pharmacy down the road from my house with my mom one day. She was picking up something and um, I saw these Jolly Ranchers. I'm like, you know what? I can buy a box of Jolly Ranchers and I can mark them up and sell them to everyone to school. And now I have a much larger audience to sell to. Everybody loves candy. I knew I love candy. I mean, I would eat these things all the time. And I was like, you know what? I can buy these for like five or 10 cents a pop. Then they were the Jolly Rancher sticks. And then I could sell them for like 25 cents. And people would buy them all day long. So I talked my mom into it. At first, she was not uh, for it. Like she was like, she, she fought me. I was like, listen, I'm going to pay you back. I just need you to front my first box. And then I'm going to take the profit and I'll pay you back and I'll reinvest into my next box, my third box, my fourth box. Well, what happened was I it was so successful uh, before you knew it, you know, a couple of weeks in and my entire backpack was full of boxes. In fact, I had boxes in my hands. I was carrying boxes in uh, because so many people wanted uh, these Jolly Ranchers, which you couldn't get anywhere. Like you couldn't get them out of the vending machine. Right. Uh, you couldn't get them anywhere. So I was the one uh, carrying the sugar in and uh, selling them to everyone at school. How old were you at the time? I was, it was about fifth grade. That's so I awesome. was in, you know, middle school. Yeah. That's awesome. My first, uh, my first tree house was funded by uh, buying necklaces at the dollar store and selling them for $7 a pop. So there's, there's nice. something great about that age. Uh, yeah. did you see this like in your, was your dad an entrepreneur? Like, was there, were there people in your family that kind of like got you thinking in that way? Cause most fifth graders aren't thinking like that. Yeah. So my, I was born and raised in Downingtown, Pennsylvania, which is, as I say, the land of the horse and buggies <laughs> out in, uh, you know, rural country of Pennsylvania, about an hour outside of Philadelphia. And, um, my grandfather was an inventor and my dad was an entrepreneur. So my Growing up, I spent a lot of time with my, actually my great grandfather. And so 
I would go fishing with them all the time when I was a kid. I learned how to fish at a really young age. I was going out on charters and um, doing competitions with him, and it was a ton of fun. Um, but he was an inventor, and he invented a fishing contraption. Um, that's a whole, you know, a whole other story for another time. But uh, I saw him invent that, and I thought that was really cool. And then my dad was an entrepreneur from the moment I was born. My dad was an entrepreneur. Like my dad uh, happened to get pulled into the entrepreneurship. He was actually an employee for most of his life up to the point when I was born. And then and he was in his 30s at the time. And uh, his brother started a company and said, hey, I need help. And so my dad came over and helped him to, to run that business. And so I, I grew up around inventors, entrepreneurs. Uh, that was really the only entrepreneurs, though, that were in my family. Like everyone else was you know, an employee. Everyone else worked a job. Right. Um, it was really my dad. And I love my dad. I mean, my, I was, according to my mom's words, I was obsessed with my dad. Like I just, you know, I love being around him. I love hanging out with him. We would do, do all types of fun stuff together. And um, so I was really influenced by him a lot, hmm. uh, definitely as a little kid. I think when we're kids, you know, we don't, we don't often think like we just like our, we love our parents. We love being around them, but we're not really thinking about like the lessons we're picking up from them. Now looking back as an adult, are there some things that you now see like, oh man, I learned this from just watching my dad be an entrepreneur or watching, you know, my great grandfather be an inventor. Like what are the, some of the things that you learn from your family in that regard? Yeah. So from my, from my grandfather, I learned uh, because his deal went sideways actually. So when I was a little kid, I didn't really understand what was going on, but my grandfather invented this contraption and he partnered with an attorney uh, to bring it to the world. And what happened was the attorney basically screwed him over, took the patent, sold the, the patent for like three million bucks or something, and my grandfather got left in the dust. So I, I, that early on was my whole family was like, you need to get contracts. Like, make sure you have agreements that are written in your favor. And, hmm. and that was a big lesson. Uh, you know, we'll, I'll get into, you know, how I had to learn that lesson myself later in life. But, uh, I, so I heard that what we went through that as a family and that was terrible, right? I mean, seeing your grandfather create something and then get the rug pulled out from under him by the attorney that he hired to actually write the contract was terrible. Mm -hmm. Uh, my dad, I got to see him running trade shows. So he ran trade shows around the country, California, Atlanta, uh, Chicago, New Jersey. So he ran trade shows in the supply chain technology industry, um, and he would bring together the buyers and sellers uh, in that industry. And um, so as a kid, you know, being in that environment, I was able to go to shows with my dad, and I was able to be a part of them, which was cool. Like I would just, I would just do stuff for fun, right? I would help him set up booths or I'd run errands, um, I always thought that was a lot of fun being involved in my dad's business. Yeah. And then I got to see him manage a team. So he had a team of about 10 people. Um, a lot of them were family members, uh, you know, cousins. And, uh, you know, a lot of them, there were my cousins, my aunts, like that kind of thing. Um, they were working in the business. And then, so I got to see my dad managing employees, what that environment looked like. You know, like his office was about 30 minutes down the road. So I would drive to, to work with my dad. Um, and so I got to see behind the scenes of how he operated the business. Cause my dad was the CEO. Um, his brother was the inventor founder. My dad yeah. was really the one running the ship. I mean, he was the one, you know, leading the business. Um, and then I got to see him solve problems. I mean, there was constantly something that came up. One of the biggest things that my dad would always say 
when making a big decision was we got to sleep on it. So hmm. I, I would always remember that he would always have all these, these decisions that he had to make. A lot of times he was solving problems, but then there'd be like this big decision. Um, like I remember my, my dad got offered like 180 grand for a domain name and it was like the primary domain name of his business. So his brother was attached to that name because his brother created the name. My dad wasn't attached. My dad was like, Hey, like, we'll just, let's sell that thing. It's 180 grand. Like, let's sell that. And we'll just go buy another domain name. Right. But his brother didn't want to sell it. So his brother ended up not selling that domain name, which Mm. was kind of silly looking back, like, uh, you know, a $10 domain name for 180 grand. It's a, that's a pretty good investment. Right. Right. Um, and then I also got to see my dad, which was really cool, just because I was spent so much time in that business and being around because it was fun for me. Um, I got to see him innovate ad solutions. So one of the things my dad invented or kind of innovated was the one-page mailer. Prior to that, people were putting uh, mail in envelopes and then shipping them out, and it would cost like whatever it would cost. Well, my dad figured out why. How about we get this, the postage down? Because they were they were sending out mailers of like you know, 50, 100,000 pieces at a time, they're sending them out. Hmm. And so they're like, oh, if we can get this down to one page and one, like one basically stamp, it'll drop the cost down significantly. And the, uh, the print company and the, and the, uh, the company was doing all the printing. Basically they'd like, yeah, we never, we've never seen this before. So it was really cool to be, uh, to be in my dad's business from that perspective, even though I was, you know, a teenager, right? Uh, I was able to see stuff like that. Yeah, and I can say, I can, I can imagine even just being at a trade show. Like, I feel like a trade show is such a good example of like so many elements of what like the American business is built off of. Like, you have to figure out like there's people walking by. You have to be able to draw them in. Like, is your booth attractive? Do you have a headline? You know, then okay, cool. Now you have to talk to people. Like, are you going to be able to explain to them with clarity? You have 15 seconds. There's all these trade show, other booths around. So I feel like I can imagine how much you would learn being a teenager in like a trade show environment and seeing like how does this work? Uh, yeah. Well, what I thought was really cool, like all those things you said are spot on. What I thought was cool is that literally, so these some of these guys would come. First of all, some of these companies became billion dollar brands. And they attributed their success to my dad's show, which was awesome. Looking back, I would have found a way to get a percentage of that. Yeah, <laughs> obviously, uh, even if it was a fraction of a percent, it would right. be it would be millions of dollars. Um, but I remember um, literally this happened where my dad would do like a multi day show, so it'd be like a four day show, right? And there was a guy who came, set up his booth, stayed for a day, and then literally packed up and left. He's like, yeah, I got, I got so much business. Like, I don't, I can't, I can't take anymore. Hmm. And he like, just, he's like, I'm, I'll be back next year, but I'm done. And he like packed his bags and left. Uh, so the show was so successful of bringing people together, making those connections happen that people would just come for a day and leave. Yeah. That's <laughs> wild. That cool. yeah, it, yeah. Amazing. I'm amazing lessons learned from that kind of an environment. So yeah. you're learning these things as a teenager. Uh, I feel like now, the conversation of college is much more like fluid and flexible. And there's a lot of people that understand like maybe college is a good option. Maybe it's not the best option, but like what was your approach as you started thinking about college and like what you were going to do once you graduate school? Yeah. So for me, everybody at that time, you know, everybody went to college. It was like just 
a thing that everybody did, right? I mean, trade schools weren't really, they were kind of frowned upon actually, um, at least in my community. Everyone was like, everybody goes to college. That's just like what everybody mm-hmm. does. And they pushed that narrative on everyone. So coming out of high school, I was, you know, I applied to a bunch of schools. I got accepted to a, pretty much every single school I applied for. And um, I I just knew that that was just the evolution of school, right? Like you go to high school, you go to middle school, you go to high school, you go to college. And so coming out of twin, uh, coming out of high school, um, actually I graduated from Berks Christian School. Uh, most of my career, I actually went to public school, uh, went to Twin, uh, twin Valley, uh, which is in Morgantown, Pennsylvania. My last year uh, of high school, I transferred to Burke's Christian School. Um, and that's a whole story that I, I go into more depth in my book. But from there, uh, I went to Slippery Rock University. And uh, Slippery Rock University uh, is in about, it's over in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. What were you, okay, so you going to major in? I went in, believe it or not, I went in to Slipper Rock University for marine biology. That was my first endeavor. I loved being on the ocean. Like I love being in the water. I loved exploring the unknown of the ocean. Um, And I knew that we haven't really truly explored the oceans uh, fully. Um, And so for me, I had a a fascination with uh, exploring the unknown and then also a fascination with, you know, the ocean, you know, all that's, that's down there. And I love the water. Um, so I was like, okay, let me see if let me see if this is something I'm interested in, and go down that path. Um, what happened though is like after my first year of going down that path, first of all, there wasn't a lot of marine biology; it was a lot of sciences. So yeah. there was a lot of unrelated topics, which I'm like, okay, well, like how does this related to getting a job in marine biology? I'm not studying anything that has to do with marine biology. Yeah. I was studying like general electives music, all these random things that they were just saying, oh, you, well, you have to get this because this is part of the, part of the college experience. Like, oh, well, it has nothing to do with marine biology. Uh, so it, that was fascinating to me. And then I switched to my second year going at Slippery Rock University. I switched to uh, business, just the general business studies. Um, and I started with business management. So I figured, you know what? Like push comes to shove. I can always use business. Right. Because mm-hmm. I knew, you know, seeing the lifestyle my dad had, you know, like as a family, we were, uh, we weren't wealthy, but we were well off. My dad made probably, you know, 350000 a year. We were able to travel, you know, take a couple weeks off vacation in the summers. Like we had a good life. Like we pretty much had what we wanted. We didn't fly privately. Like we weren't wealthy, but mm-hmm. we had, we were doing better than most in our community. So for me, you know, growing up, being a part of that experience in that environment, I said, you know, a business, I can do so much with that. And that's why I shifted and pivoted to business right. at that time. Yeah. So, you know, your college experience ended up being uh, a bit of like a wake up call and a pivotal experience, but maybe not in the way that you expected. Like, what did you maybe expect to get out of college and then talk to me about like, what that first year or two in college, kind of what that experience ended up leading you into. Yeah. So first college, first year of a college was, um, you know, awkward, right? I mean, you, you go from having your own room at home, you know, with your parents, uh, and my brother and sister to going to living in a dorm room with another dude. All right. So that you don't know. Right. So I, I went, you know, 
had had a new roommate. I'm in a super tiny room, uh, practically bunk beds, um, living with a new dude that you just met. So that was weird. Like that's always on you. That's always uncomfortable. My second year though, um, I, after the first year, so I went, I had a couple people from high school that I knew I wasn't really close with them in high school, but now all of a sudden I'm getting to know them more because they were the ones I knew. Like at least I had some familiarity with high school. Right. And so I had two people, um, from high school that were, went to Slippery Rock University as well. And so I, I really, like, we kind of hung out, hung together, and I started working out with the one guy. And he was a part of, of a fraternity, so I would go and hang out with, the, with them on the weekends and do, and do fun stuff with those guys. The second year coming in, um, all of the guys were like, hey, you should join the fraternity. We'd love to have you a part of the fraternity. Um, and the fraternity was more, it wasn't, most people think fraternities, they think parties, like, just like having a wild time. And they did that, but they were, they were the top fraternity when it came to athletics, academics. Um, they were, you know, they weren't the party fraternity, but they partied. Um, they still had fun. They still, you know, um, you know, had a good time, but they also were really competitive athletically, mm-hmm. um, and intellectually as well. So they talked me into it. I mean, that's really what it boiled down to. I was like, you know what? I'm already hanging out with these guys already. I wanted to do something. Quite frankly, I wanted to do something because I was bored. I was like, you know, I, I should either get involved in student government or I should join the fraternity. And the fraternity sounded like more fun. So I went down that path. <laughs> yeah. How, how, what was that experience like for you? You know, it was challenging. Um, pledging a fraternity was like a full-time job outside of school. I mean, it's so demanding. Um, so I found myself going from my first year of having a ton of free time, free time, being able to go to the gym, being able to just really kick it and relax to, uh, going to school now. And on top of that, uh, I also have all these extracurricular activities, uh, with the fraternity life. And so, uh, all of a sudden I found myself, I was super booked, busy. I didn't have a free, free moment to myself and it was demanding. I mean, we're, one moment, you know, where we have to memorize this, you know, this pledge, we have to memorize this, that, and the next thing. I tons of stuff we had to memorize. On top of that, we had to basically cater to the fraternity brothers, right? So we're cleaning this guy's house or we're doing right. chores for this guy. So, um, it was an interesting experience. I like, from what I remember, it was fun, but it was busy and it was right. demanding. So going into college, like what were you maybe expecting to get out of it? And then I know that first year or two was, there were some pretty pivotal experiences that like marked you forever and changed, really changed your life. So like, tell me a little bit more about what ended up happening in that first year or two of college for you. Yeah. So definitely an interesting experience, um, being in college and then joining the fraternity, um, was more than I bargained for, for sure. Um, First year was pretty easy, pretty calm. Um, I had a lot of extra time. Second year, though, joining a fraternity, it's like basically having a full-time job outside of going to school. Um, my grades were suffering. I spent way too much time and energy focused on the fraternity life and all the things that you have to do to to really like earn your way into it, right? Um, I mean, they put you through a process where they make it hard and challenging and they want to uh, you know, put you under pressure to see if you're fit, 
to be able to be in the fraternity. Right. And some people don't make it. I mean, some people just bail, right? I mean, and usually that's in the beginning, but you could go the whole semester and last minute they could be like, yeah, you're not a good fit. Like you, and they kick you out. So you, you always have that fear for me. Um, I went all the way through it. Uh, it came big brother night came, um, which is usually that moment, which is really intense, uh, where they're, uh, you know, seeing what you're made of before they set, you know, before they introduce you to your big brother is what they call How it. long had you been like going through kind of their like process before ideally you'd kind of like almost graduate? Is this like a year long process? Yeah. It's a whole semester. No, okay. it's a whole semester. So four months, um, you, you start that year. And then like within the first two weeks of being on campus, you're going through that, that introduction process. And then you're, then you start right the journey yeah so i imagine uh, then, you were looking forward to this big brother night oh for sure we were all looking forward to it we knew it was gonna be tough um we knew after big brother night typically comes hell week so that would be like another really intense week for that's like the last push over the edge uh but we knew big brother night was going to be uh monumental as well uh because there's like a ceremony that's attached to it and um you know, so where I found myself at that moment was, you know, we went to one of our, uh, the elders, you know, in the fraternity life, you have elders, so you have parents that are part of the fraternity. They like went through, they were a, a brother when they went through school and then they, you know, obviously graduated school and went off to get a career and they're still plugged in. Well, in our case, the guy who led the bookstore, he was the head bookstore manager, uh, for Slippery Rock University. He had a house that was on campus. And so we we went to his house and that's where Big Brother Night started. And it was uh, basically, um, you know, hell <laughs> uh, going through, practically hell um, to then get indoctrinated. From there, um, it really went downhill uh, pretty quickly uh, because we went through this really emotionally battering experience, almost like, uh, trying to, um, you know, more, more verbal than it was physical, but it was like, it was very dark. And so, you know, they're, you, you're, you're going into a garage, uh, with candles, uh, they're playing, you know, heavy metal. Um, then, then one person comes into the house at a time you go, you know, up the house, you go down the basement, everything's pitch dark. Uh, and then you have the brothers that are just, you know, screaming, yelling at you, uh, calling you profane names. Um, it, Quite frankly, it's a blur at this point. I mean, we're, uh, you know, almost two decades from that experience right. now at this point. So a lot of that's a blur. Uh, but let's just put it this way. I was one of the last pledges to come in. And by the time that I had gotten in there, other brothers were already gone through the process and in a waiting or holding period. And I would, I came in and uh, I was guarded. You know, I kind of guarded myself. Not Mind you, I already knew a lot of these brothers already. And they were like, oh yeah, we're going to take an easy on you. So I already knew them and I had kind of my, my gut, kind of my guard up, but there was other pledges that were literally crying. They were like, you know, in tears, they're crying. You could hear them like sobbing, uh, from that experience. So it was a pretty intense, intense experience. And then all of a sudden they flip the light on and then they're celebrating like, congratulations. And it was really weird. You go from like this really dark moment, uh, of, hate, anger, uh, and all of that negative emotion to like ecstatic, joyful, mm -hmm. excited. It's, it was a real weird uh, shift. And then they're 
busting out bottles of alcohol and, uh, you know, you're meeting your big brother for the first time. Uh, and then from there we went to another house, started drinking. Uh, I only lasted probably about an hour into that experience, uh, that I remember. Then I blacked out. Uh, and then after that, I woke up in the hospital the next morning with three doctors literally rushing to my bedside as they were singing, he's alive, he's alive three times. And, uh, for me, it was just all white. Uh, the doctors were even wearing, you know, white gowns, um, and everything was just bright. And, um, and I had no clue where I was. Um, wow. the doctor, he, you know, he leaned over to my bedside and he said, you know, do you know where I'm at? You are. And I said, I don't know, where am I at? I'm, I thought I was at the Slipper Rock Medical Center. And he's like, no, no, you're, we're at the Grove City Hospital. It's about 15 miles away. And, uh, he said, you know, he said, you came in last night. Uh, he said, we didn't think you're going to live. I called your parents, said you're, you're going to either die or be brain dead for life. He's like, in my 30 years of being a doctor, I've never seen anyone with your severe of a condition live, yet alone be able to comprehend what I'm saying. So the fact that you can actually understand what I'm saying right now is, is, is a miracle. He goes, all I can say is God must have a plan and purpose for your life. That's it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't understand how you could, how you could have come out of this. Now, mind you, I was, my blood alcohol level is 0.39. I was one shot from death, literally. Um, I didn't throw anything up. They had to pump my stomach, and uh, I woke up with a catheter in me, which is never a fun experience. Um, and I was still foggy, <laughs> naturally, yeah. right? I mean, think about when you drink and wake up the next day after you had a little bit too much to drink. I had, I had about a fifth of vodka in less than 30 minutes. Hmm. That's where I was at that moment. Um, and so it was really a surreal experience, you know, being there. It was one of those moments that you really, really makes you stop and think about your life um, and think about like how grateful I am to, to, to even be able to comprehend, to be able to speak, to be able to hear, to really coming back to life and everything being okay, right? I mean, to me in this moment, I was like, okay, I, whew, I say, you know, I was a close call, right? I, I survived. Um, you know, I, I can still, you know, I can still, I'm still here. Um, I didn't really fully understand the depth of what I'd went through. Right. Uh, I'm grateful because after that experience, I found out that, you know, my pledge master was, uh, he knew something was wrong and, and he was going and he was studying and a background in medical. And because of his studies, in that field, he's like, something's really wrong. And some of the brothers actually said, Hey, we should just drop Delaney off at his dorm or his house. And, hmm. uh, and he was like, Oh no, no, like we have to drop him off at the medical center. Now think about this for a second. I was not even 21 yet. So they now have a minor who's completely wasted, you know, super right. drunk. Uh, you know, for them, it's like a li- liability, you know, they don't want to get, right. they don't want to get charged for something. So they just dumped me off and, uh, and then kind of like knocked the door and ran. And, um, and, and now all of a sudden the medical center, I couldn't even walk. I mean, I was basically on, on my face on the ground. And, um, but you know, from that experience, uh, my family drove across the state. My, my, when my parents got the call that night before the doctor had said, your son's probably going to die. You branded for life. My parents immediately prayed and uh, they prayed for that I was that I that God would have His hand of protection on me, and they said that they they had felt a peace about it all, and so they they drove across the state 
It's about five and a half hours, five and a half hour drive. They drove across the state. And then that morning I woke up at about eight, eight thirty in the morning. And then, uh, from there, uh, after I eventually got out of the hospital in the afternoon, uh, my dad and I drove back to campus and there was this little tiny hole in the wall church that said, uh, you know, God has a plan and purpose for your life. And it was really ironic, right? I mean, I just heard that from the doctor who'd been a doctor for more than 30 years who thought I was going to die. And then I'm driving back to campus and <laughs> this little tiny hole in the wall church, I mean, tiny church, uh, looks like it couldn't even fit more than 20, 30 people in this thing. And uh, it says, God has a plan and purpose for your life. Well, that when I saw that sign, my dad said, you know, I think, I think this is a sign. This sign's for you, Brian. I think that you really need to contemplate, you know, why God brought you back, why God spared your life, why God saved you, um, and what that purpose is. And, and in that moment, I knew I wasn't at the right place. I was around the wrong people. Who didn't have the, who didn't share the same values as I have. None of those people at that time were, were seeking out God's plan and purpose. They were going to college. They were having fun. They were living it up. Um, and they, the last thing that was on their mind was what's God's plan for my life. So I knew I had to make a shift. I knew I had to, to transfer. I knew I had to get out of that environment. And I'd, I'd already done it before, right? I mean, when I was in high school, growing up, I went to public a school all the way through high school. And then my last year, I went to a Christian, um, uh, Christian high school. Right. And that was a radical, radical difference. Um, the level of education at public univer- a public school compared to a private school was starkly different. So I knew that it was going to be different. I, I wasn't sure how right. different it was going to be. Um, but, yeah. uh, I knew it was going to be different. And is, I mean, it sounds like you started thinking about purpose, what God's purpose was for your life a little bit different here. And in, in the next episode and in future episodes, we'll talk more about that journey. But give me kind of qu- a quick synopsis of like what was starting to run through your mind as you looked at like, what is your life purpose? Yeah, so at the time I knew I needed to seek God. I needed to pray. I needed to read the scripture. Um, I needed, I, I was, you know, um, when I was 16, that's when I, you know, I found God. Um, and there, there's a whole, that's a whole nother story. Uh, so at this point, I'm, you know, about, I'm 20, right? Um, and I knew I needed to get into a different environment. So, um, so at that time, I said, you know what? I need to surround myself with Christians. I need to be, and I need to study and go deep into the word. So what I did was I said, okay, I'm going from business management right? To let's go into pastoral studies. I knew I didn't want to be a pastor and be stuck in one building, but I knew that I needed, I wanted to go deeper in God's truth and God's word. And so I figured, you know, if I go, if I immerse myself in, into the things of God, then God will lead me to discovering my purpose. Mm-hmm. Right. And eventually that's what happened. Um, but I really had no clarity. It was, you know, I was like in the tunnel and I couldn't see the end of the light, the, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel. I was just in this dark place of really not knowing, you know, where God wanted me to go next. But I knew that I needed to shift the people that I was around and what I was actually spending my time studying. I knew that much. That's all I knew at the time. Yeah. Uh, and that's when I then shifted from uh, Slippery Rock University um, to Clearwater Christian College, 
And I went there um, because um, I applied to, I don't know, about a handful of different Christian colleges uh, around the country, and I got approved every single one of them. But Clearwater was a place where I had three confirmations from other people that it was a great place to go. And one of the things I prayed about at that time was, God, I want you to confirm and lead me and to where you want me to be. And literally all roads were leading to Clearwater. So after the third person said, oh, Clearwater is an amazing place. I've heard great things about it. Then that was my confirmation that I needed. Okay, God, this is where you want me to go. You confirm, you're confirming where I should make my next move through different people in my experience. Mm-hmm. So random people. I mean, these weren't people that I knew. These were random people that I stumbled across that all said Clearwater is where I recommend. And then that's I awesome. then that's where I found myself going. I found myself, you know, jumping on a plane and landing in Tampa and yeah. driving down to Clearwater. That's awesome. Which is close to where you are today. That's correct. Yep. That's awesome. <laughs> well, this has been great. And if you're listening or watching, make sure you watch our future episodes because we're going to dive more into, you know, what did God begin to speak to you? What was this journey of like really finding out your purpose? And really, how did you go from, um, you know, almost dying to impacting more than a billion people with the work that, that you've been doing? So, Brian, thanks for being willing to jump into your story. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Legacy Builders. Make sure you tune into the next episode where I share about the time when I died and was brought back to life, which was a massive wake-up call that led to me discovering my soul's purpose in life and business. Now, if you would like to tap into the exploding self-education industry that's expected to grow to a billion a day, I would suggest checking out www.launchexpertise.com. That's Launch expertise.com where you can grab a copy of my free book the entrepreneur evangelist you can join 33 days of coaching with me where you'll learn how to launch your expertise online scale your impact and build your legacy or you can hire my team and i where you can take the fastest path by using your expertise and combining it with ours so we can help you with regards to marketing advertising and selling online Again, that's launchexpertise.com.